Welcome to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Russell, a finance attorney and member of Stoll's agribusiness, food, beverage, and timber industry group. This season, we're interviewing respected industry leaders and discussing how they and their companies are embracing innovation and capitalizing on new opportunities to move their industries forward in an ever-changing world. Subscribe at stoll.com, that's S-T-O-E-L.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to this episode of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Russell. Our guest today is Katie Pope, co-founder and CEO of Blue Star Donuts, the purveyors of my absolute favorite donut in what's, in my humble opinion, the best city these days for donut fans. Uh, Katie is a restaurant entrepreneur who has been behind a variety of successful and popular local food concepts with several of those brands going on to stretch beyond Oregon's borders. Blue Star Donuts is based here in Portland and their donuts for grownups, although my daughter would argue with that description are not only available in and from cafe locations in Oregon and California, but also in a shelf-stable product range via local retailers like Market of Choice, Green Zebra, Alpenrose, and New Seasons. And recently, they've expanded to include a selection of full-size donuts available for nationwide shipping. In this episode, Katie and I will be discussing the challenges of growing and adapting a business during a pandemic, managing stakeholder relationships, and sustainably growing a local community-focused brand. Katie, welcome to the program. Hey, what's up, girl? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I would also just let your daughter know that donuts for grownups and not so grownups alike. I, I think she she doesn't care about the labeling. She just gets obsessed with the We're equal opportunists. The raspberry. She's like, is it really? Oh, yeah. No, she's obsessed. Raspberry, rosemary, buttermilk. Raspberry, rosemary, buttermilk. And she's it's quite the adult flavor. She's so. like, she wants it. No argument. There's no like choice. That's never the one that we get. Out of Can't the blame the lady for good taste. <laughs> So I, uh, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about where you've come from in growing the business and the importance of local relationships to what you've built. Could you talk a little bit first about how you got to Portland and what you've done to get to where we are today? Oh, you mean like my background life story in five seconds? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'm a dreaded Californian. Um, dun, dun, dun. I know. Dun, dun, dun. And, but I've been in Portland for... 18, 19 years. I yeah. married a native. My you can vote. Sam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and my background actually is neurological psychology. Totally random. I know. <laughs> I honestly just kind of fell into the restaurant industry. And yeah, I've talked about this before. I'm I'm not a chef. That's not my I love good food. I absolutely love it. And it's actually kind of my dad traveled quite a lot for business and mm-hmm. he would always bring back, he was really curious and he loved learning about different cultures and different food. So growing up, he was always exposing us to different culture food and explaining, you know, why good quality food was so important. And it was just part of my family experience growing up. That's awesome. So, yeah. And you've actually spoken about, you know, the good quality food and how since, you know, your days back at even like Little Big Burger, one of your core ideas was to build off those sort of quality ingredients and the bounty of the Pacific Northwest and all the amazing local suppliers we have in the region. So could you talk a little bit about how you've developed and maintained those local connections at Blue Star and what you look for in those supplier partners? I mean, Oregon is amazing. We have just an absolutely phenomenal quality of everything from the sea to the farm, the fields, and we're a huge agricultural export to, you know, Japan and Asia. And actually OPB just did a series called Super Abundant. 
Oh yeah. And it's focused on Pacific Northwest bounty, everything from like, we're a huge uni export sea urchin and you know what that is all about to wheat and you know, the, the Pacific Northwest high quality wheat, that's one of our biggest exports. Yeah. I actually hadn't realized quite how many acres of Oregon were planted yeah. in mm-hmm. wheat until we started working together and I was mm-hmm. looking into, you know, blue star supply chains. I was like, Oh yeah. There's actually really, really great wheat being grown mm-hmm. in like 700,000 acres of Oregon now. It's crazy. I know. Like, and Oregon white truffles, some of the most prized truffles in the entire world. So there's just all the, all the raw material is here, right? Mm-hmm. And Blue Star started honestly kind of as a vanity project. You know, it really was. It was like, let's just make the absolute best quality donut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, out of the best quality ingredients we possibly can, just because I want to eat it. <laughs> and we have all the raw material here. Like, let's use that. And I did not think it was going to be, it was just kind of a one-off. It was like, let's just make the absolute most indulgent, best donut we can possibly make. And the, the response to it was just, I think a lot of it was maybe right time, right place. But yeah, just the customer response, the staff response, everybody involved, something about it just had that mojo, you know, like that je ne sais quoi. And so growing it over the years has been interesting because the business model wasn't designed really to scale initially. Like how do you scale a super bougie donut concept? (laughs) It's really hard to make. And thinking about, you know, who we partner with over the years, there's a lot of very intentional decisions behind that. Because is it a lot easier and more business savvy to go with lower quality ingredients that are cheaper? Absolutely, 100%. But that's not what I want. That's not what our customers want. And so figuring out like how can we pair our core values with the local producers and artisans that we want to work with you know, that's been, that's always a work in progress, but that's what we come back to time after time is, you know, do the people we want to work with match our core values as a company? And our core values are donut party every day, (laughs) own it, you know, take responsibility, no drama, unique passion for quality together. We're better and stellar hospitality. That's an acrostic kids, by the way. (laughs) but (laughs) so when we look at who we want to work with and who we want to partner with, do they connect with our core values? Are they living those same core values? And that's really, that's why we partner with who we do at the end of the day. Nice. And you know, it's not just those sort of staple core ingredients that you're really developing these partnerships with. You've done a lot of really cool two-way partnerships with other local businesses, particularly beverage producers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a fan of that gin. Oh, uh, yeah. Shine, the shine gin. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I got in a little bit of trouble actually, though, because you guys gave me a bottle of that, yep. I think. And uh, Jim got a hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim. Okay. Here's the thing. I didn't know if Jim was a drinker. I didn't want to insult him. You That's, know, it's totally fair. Yeah. It's totally fair. I just got, he's to feel- got this very like grandfatherly, I don't know. <laughs> You know, I was just like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to offend him, but uh, it's fine. I got to Jim, very we'll get you a bottle. We got extra friends. <laughs> it's coming your way. But could you talk a little bit how those relationships in particular develop, like how you come up with those pairings and cross promotion opportunities? Like, is it the partner first or the project? Mm. It's actually kind of a combination. So 
for example, our coffee, right? I mean, donuts and coffee, gotta have good coffee. And we were at a point where we wanted to elevate our coffee game and use somebody, you know, Portland local that with our combined with our values. And so, um, went around to the local coffee people that we really respected and asked them to come up with a unique blend that would pair with our donuts. And the thing about our donuts is, you know, raspberry, rosemary, buttermilk, that's not a super basic flavor. <laughs> There's a know? lot going on there. Yeah. And, and we do donuts. We're not, we're not artisan coffee makers. We're artisan donut makers. And so you, people aren't coming to us for a super artisan frou-frou coffee experience, right? They're coming to us mainly for the donuts. So what we want in our coffee is something that's not necessarily going to compete with the donuts, but it's also going to complement it and cleanse the palate so that it's refreshing your palate, preparing it for the next bite of, you know, whatever fantastic donut cream. So we went around to a bunch of different concepts locally and asked them to come up with a special blend with this in mind. And then we did a blind taste test. So all of my upper management team, you know, we had narrowed it down to these three companies and we did a blind taste test. This was like the best day of my life, by the way. I was going to say, it sounds like a donut party every day, right? Like <laughs> the best party. Yeah. And it ended up that Kova Coffee Roasters, Matt Higgins, was just kind of far in the way, the best match. And that to me was an example of the project is coming first, but we're going to pair it with you know, our values and how we want to go about that. And also there are people that are partners we want to work with, uh, one stripe chai. And she and I kind of met very serendipitously. I was like, this chick is cool. She's got, <laughs> she's cool. She's got her own thing going on. She's making it happen. Her product is fantastic. Like let's find a way to do some kind of a really cool collaboration, whether it be a drink or a donut. We also use quite a lot of different drinks, beverages in our donuts. And so one straight chai we made, she worked with chef Stephanie and our executive pastry chef, and they came up with our chai peppermint chai chocolate donut. That's a holiday staple. I mean, it was just kind of like a one-time limited release and people went bananas over it. And so now it's like, we make our donut bites. We make our chai donut bites. We have the chai cake donut that comes back. And that was great. And I mean, shine is actually... That's a friend of a of one of our upper management team members, John, and mm -hmm. he is just, I mean, that guy is entrepreneur to the nines. He has pulled some extremely ballsy moves and I have nothing but respect for the man and his product is absolutely fantastic. So it was like, we have to find a way to make this happen. And they just kind of like came up with this and they were like, what do you think? We we're like, this is amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. And apparently it's been doing well enough for them to keep it in stock, which is great. So yeah. Yeah. And you talked about some of your senior management who are still there and have been with you this whole ride. Yeah. And that you know, your grown local model sort of extends to that team. Like a lot of your original staff have helped grow the business while growing in the business. And, you know, you've been consistent about wanting to make sure they were taken care of. You know, we met last year while going through the subchapter five bankruptcy process that Orrin was guiding you through. And I just wanted to get some of your thoughts on, you know, how did that process work for you in terms of keeping that core team together and sort of happy? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I will, to me, I think when I look back on that, it was a blessing in disguise because going through it was hell. 
I mean, it was, <laughs> thank God for Stoll Reeves. I mean, I, just as an aside note, you know, I've worked with Stoll for eight or nine years over, you know, across all my different companies, across a variety of different subjects and topics. And not only are y'all some of the sharpest and most creative minds in the business, you're also some of the most staunchly ethical people I've ever, ever met or worked with. And again, it's that alignment of core values, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we could all certainly not say that about all lawyers, but (laughs) that's been my experience with Stoll. So I have a lot of trust built up over the years. And I trusted Stoll to help guide me through this incredibly stressful, you know, discombobulating experience that was born out of desperation because of the pandemic. And, you know, for me with Blue Star, something that I've learned with companies is I, it's just, I want to make sure that credit goes where credit is due. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. A lot of the times when companies are set up, the people that are doing the sweat equity, the blood, sweat, and tears that are there at all hours of the day, 2 a.m., doing whatever it takes to keep the doors open, they're not necessarily getting the ownership stake. They're not necessarily getting the back-end benefits. Mm -hmm. And that is something that doesn't sit right with me. And again, you know, Blue Star, the way it was set up initially, I didn't really think about that. I didn't, nobody knew what it was going to become. And (laughs) it just became something totally different. And as Blue Star became more popular and as it grew, you know, to me, there was this glaring difference between the ownership backend and the people that were actually making it what it became and what it's become. And I just kind of decided like, I, I have to make this right. This mm-hmm. is not sitting well with me. I play the long game. That's always kind of been my strategy. And I knew that this was going to be a long, long ride. And so a lot of people don't know this, but just on the back ends, pretty much since the beginning of Blue Star, I've been working to write the ownership stake over the years. And it's a long kind of nasty process, to be honest. I mean, nobody wants to give up something that's successful and popular. So it takes, yeah, just a lot of patience and a lot of skillful negotiation and the pandemic and just what happened with the fallout with that. Unfortunately, you know, just all the pandemic situation and the government regulations combined with kind of a nasty litigious landlord unfortunately drove us to pursue the chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. And for, which for me was like, you know, I think most people, when you hear bankruptcy, everybody just thinks of what I now understand is chapter seven liquidation, right? You're going out of business, but in reality, bankruptcy, there's a lot of different varieties (laughs) of it. Chapter 11 and the new sub chapter five category is just a different flavor you know, and so that was a big education for me and an opportunity to restructure the company. And so, Hey, here's this opportunity, unfortunately born out of crisis, you know, for us to find a way to attract some new investment and also like, let's give the people that are actually running the company and making the mojo that is blue star. Let's, let's give them a right side stake in it. And I fought really hard for that. You know, I basically said, like, yeah, I will walk away if that doesn't happen. I'm okay with that. This is something that's really important. And if it does not happen, the company will never be the same. So, 
yeah, it was a, it was a long, dirty fight, but I had stole by my side and luckily it worked out. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm sure you're a little bit relieved to not be talking to us quite as much this year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not in that way, but I miss you guys. I do. I miss, I feel like we all kind of bonded over that. Definitely. I I feel like I really got to know all of the details of Will's house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We all look like super early and super late. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's the combination, I think, of doing a, you know, really a high stress project during work from home during pandemic. Yep. yep. It's like, well, I really hope you like the real me because that's yep. what you're getting. <laughs> I mean, and I've talked about this with other people, but there are very, very few people in this entire world that will ever understand what we went through besides our immediate families, like our spouses and stole. I mean, you see people at their absolute most desperate times. And that's something that I will never forget. On a you know slightly different note, but also tied into the pandemic and coming through that whole process, you know, you you worked so fast to to pivot and <laughs> like respond to this you know very sudden shutdown, trying to keep your employees safe, trying you know having revenue go to zero, and then developing this whole pivot to the grocery shelves and developing a new product like while going through this process with us while dealing with your landlord like how how did you manage that while dealing with everything else you were facing and how do you think that's you know continued to go into your current delivery expansion you know where do you see that going even there's a lot of questions in that question yes, there, but there were i uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've had kind of a crazy life and i guess my my response to stress is to fight it through it and I'm very fortunate in that I belong to a global industry group um, of other restaurateurs around the world. And as the pandemic was unfolding, you know, I was paying really close attention and getting reports from the front line of what was happening in Asia and Italy. And I just knew it was going to be bad here bad for our industry, that the industry was going to take the brunt of it, that the government response was going to be a clustered (laughs) and interesting. Yeah. And we were just going to go through these waves of openings and closings and shutdowns. And, you know, and at the time the blue star business model was a hundred percent in-person retail. And if you take that away, you know, we were almost a $7 million business, you know, and I've got eight shops in Portland and almost a hundred staff, like how are we going to keep that going? And so I went into like panic mode. And one of my uh, restaurant buddies in Texas told me this story right around that time. We were all kind of talking about like how to handle this and what we're going to do with our businesses. And uh, he said, okay, so there's this, there's a story, right? That on the Colorado Plains, there's herds of cows and there's herds of buffalo. And when a storm rolls in, you know, they can smell it. They can smell the storm coming and the cows smell it. And they immediately, as a herd, they turn and they start running away from the storm because they're panicking. Cows aren't that fast. (laughs) So the storm catches up with them. The cows keep running and they're running while the storm is passing over. And they're essentially kind of prolonging their their exposure and their suffering to the storm. Buffaloes. When the buffaloes smell a storm coming, they turn and they run towards it as a herd. And they run through the storm 
and it minimizes the pain and the suffering that they have to endure together. And I heard that story and I just, it clicked like, I want to be a buffalo. <laughs> I want to be a buffalo. I don't want to, I want to minimize the pain and the suffering and just like, all right, what do we need to do to survive? And, you know, that first day we shut down, cleaned up the stores, donated everything we could. And I honestly, the first day just cried my eyes out. I walked around the shops and just really scared and panicked for what was going to happen. And then the day after that, I woke up, want to be a buffalo. What are we going to do? We need to get something to where people are going to be. Their grocery stores are going to be kept open. People have to have food. So what can we do to make our product translate to grocery stores? And so I called Chef and I said, hey, let's get into the kitchen. Let's do some R&D and see how can we come up with, you know, mini donuts or donut holes or something. And so she immediately starts working on that. And I reach out to all my business contacts and get in touch with like, who are the head buyers of, of grocery stores? And um, I kind of fudged this part, but <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, we've got this brand new product. It's shelf stable. It's great for bakeries. <laughs> I can get you on the list if you're interested, you know, and they were like, oh yeah, sure. Okay, great. And man, there was a couple people so Lisa Sedler of Green Zebra, Selena, of, she was the head bakery buyer at New Seasons. You know, they were like, absolutely. Yes. A hundred percent. When can I get it yesterday? Like, how do I? <laughs> and the chef ended up, you know, she can't, it turns out that our buttermilk old fashioned donuts and our mm-hmm. cake donuts, they do really well with shelf stability, with freezing and thawing. And so we were able to make donut bite versions of our full size donuts and come up with kind of like a freezing process. So that they could be frozen, delivered frozen to grocery stores, pulled and thawed and put into the bakery sections. And we ended up turning that around in 10 days. So from 10, from March 16th until I think it was April 1st, April 1st, April 2nd, we had product in the grocery stores because they took a chance on us. Yeah. And and again, going back to that, you know, those having those connections, the people wanting to pick up the phone, the local network. and Yes. All Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. And obviously having chef willing to, you know, roll up her sleeves and get to work straight away. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we knew how bad it was going to get at that time, but it was, I'm just so grateful for the community support and, and, and also, I mean, grocery wholesale is a completely different business model. I mean, like <laughs> groceries take 40% margins. That's totally different than retail. Yeah. And so trying to figure out how to make a business model out of this dynamic and and learning that and figuring it out on the fly, that's that's like it's a lot. But there especially was so while you've, patient. You know, got nothing else going on to right. worry yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, it came down to those core people that had been with the company, those six people that have been with the company some of them since day one. I mean, Chef Stephanie, your executive pastry chef, she was my first hire. She invented all the Blue Star recipes. Um, And those people that have worn different hats throughout the company throughout the years, they are the ones that help save the company in addition to our community. Yeah. And how do you see that side of the business that, you know, you didn't previously have going forward as you, you know, are reopening and things are... I mean, at one point I thought things were getting back to normal. Yeah. Obviously we're yeah. still in that phase. You were clearly right with the reopening, reclosing, yeah. reopening, reclosing. But you know, you've clearly 
also been expanding on some of your shipping products now that you're able to do this. Yeah. You know, where, where do you see that going? I mean, the silver lining is that it unlocked a totally new revenue stream for us. We have this new line of products, the donut bites, donut holes that can be shelf stable and sold uh, in grocery stores. Uh, we're also in Legacy, Emmanuel, Alpenrose Home Delivery. We've expanded to Seattle, the Smith Brothers Home Delivery. So there's just a world of opportunity with that. It's a very different production process, mm-hmm. but the also just the freezing technology that we've kind of invented that works for us helps us to ship our full-size donuts nationally. So we've been doing R&D testing throughout this whole last year and a half um, and figured out how to ship our donuts nationally, which is fantastic because <laughs> everybody's always been asking us, you know, oh, I want to send these to my friend or whatever, or, you know, gift, congratulations. And, and now we can do it. And it's awesome. And we're so, so pleased with the quality and how it's turned out. So yeah, we're just doing kind of a soft launch right now, but it is fantastic. And I presume keeps happy some of those fans, like the the guy who flew out yes. for Donut Day yes. to come and spend the day in Portland to yeah. go to all the Blue Stars. Absolutely. Now we can get the donut love to them. They don't necessarily have to come all the way to us. Yeah. So how do you look at the work of balancing sort of the local community side of the business and your core proposition while targeting that growth and growth beyond Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Blue Star is back and better than ever. We have a lot of really exciting openings on the horizon and we have some plans for expansion in the West coast. And our, one of our initial slogans when we opened was quality over quantity. And the intention behind that was, you know, Hey, we're not going to use the cheap mass produced ingredients. We really want to work with the most best quality things that we can find to make the best quality product we can find. And that's sort of the ethos behind Blue Star. But it's not necessarily unique to Portland. There are there's local producers, artisans in every community, especially the West Coast. And so I would say that that mantra has changed or or evolved to quality and quantity. So as we expand along the West Coast, you know, being very thoughtful and deliberate about the local producers, the local artisans that we get a chance to collaborate with, that we can use our platform to showcase. So that's something that's really exciting to me because I think Portland may have really kind of led the charge around that ethos. I see it taking root. And I see that more people are paying attention to it and they're valuing that. And there's just so many talented people all over the place. And I'm excited to pursue partnerships with them, you know, to find that that kind of cross section between really high quality products and core values, you know, to make something that's incredible and unique. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, I think we're running short on time, but I can't leave without asking one final question that I've been meaning to ask you for a year now, which was I I watched you give a talk to an entrepreneur's group a while back where you mentioned the same thing you did earlier in this conversation about not being the cook and how, you know, most people have a signature dish. That's their thing they bring out for company, they do for the fancy dates. And you said yours was a snack plate. (laughs) And I'm deeply curious what goes on Katie's snack plate. It's just cheese. It's just actually a friend of mine gave me this book a little while ago. It's called that cheese plate will change your life. 
And it's kind of like a how-to and how to put together like a super, you know, juju cheese plate. And that's that's now my signature move. I'm that person that brings <laughs> the wow cheese plate, you know, the snack mm-hmm. plate to the party. That's my move. Yeah. Are, are you doing like the little folding of all the... Oh, it's called things? the Salami River, actually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Because you have your little, you know, river of cheese and then you've got your little salami river <laughs> nestled up next to it. And then you've got your crunch factor. You've got the herb factor. And yeah, it's a work of art. Awesome. What's the the favorite cheese? Is there like a, a cornerstone cheese that I mean, you start from? bad cheese? I mean, I no, there's there's no bad cheese. No, clearly. death by cheese. That's how I would go out. Seriously. <laughs> Just like drowning in uh, melted brie or something. That's That would be a good end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like how this is, you know, somehow turned around into my other favorite podcast. But. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Katie. Yeah, it's always absolutely. a pleasure to see you. Yeah. Even now that you have to commute in to downtown. Fair, fair. But yeah, this was great. And I just have to say that working with you, Chris, you're one of the most intelligent, curious people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So uh-huh. thank you. And I didn't even have to pay you to say that. <laughs> Actually, I paid you. <laughs> yeah, no, like this is technically we great. Paid you. <laughs> well, yeah, it was worth it. It's definitely worth it. Well, thank you. It's great to see you always and hope to see you soon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit stoll.com. Please also take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and may not reflect the views of Stoll Reeves LLP. Participation in this podcast by any individual is not an endorsement of any view or opinion expressed. This is not legal advice and the podcast doesn't create an attorney-client relationship.